that. How many of you needed this day? Yeah, all of us together pretty much saying, you're not going to take our country away from us, nor are you going to take our future away from us, and we're going to take it back. I'm so excited that I get to be your MC for this afternoon. Uh, you're about to hear from a couple of super powerful, amazing women. And to introduce them is a powerful woman in her own right, a San Francisco native, a healthcare expert, an entrepreneur for 24 years, uh, an awardee of the 30 Working Mothers of the Year. Janet Liang is Kaiser Permanente's president of the Northern California region and a major badass in her own right. Please welcome Janet Liang. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh. Kaiser Permanente is in the house today. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. You know, I was so excited to be joining you today, and I was always coming to the conference, and I saw the theme was to be invincible. I took a minute to take a look at the dictionary to say, what are some of the other ideas and themes behind the word invincible? And uh, what stood out for me was uh, indestructible, unbeatable, and absolutely too powerful to overcome. That's right, that's right. Those are fighting words. So I asked myself, so what exactly are we fighting for? So I have four principles that I think that we're fighting for. The first is that we're fighting for recognition that there is economic value in the role that women play in raising families. That's right. That's right. The second is that we're fighting for equal pay for equal work. It's very simple. The third is that being a woman does not limit our opportunity or our voice. And then lastly, lastly, we must be in a society where women are free from oppression and physical violence. So at Kaiser Permanente, I want you to know that leaders like myself and our workforce of over 79,000 believe in these four tenets strongly. We understand that women are decision makers for the health care for their family, your mothers and your sisters, your wives and partners, and daughters. You make these choices for your family, and we listen to you. You have a very important voice. The second is that uh, we employ, uh, I said earlier, 79,000 people here in Northern California. 70% of those employees are women. Very proud to say that. Um, but I also want you to know that women have opportunity at Kaiser to become executives. So we have eight, uh, we, we're a national organization and there are eight presidents and the presidents run everything that happens um, in our organization. We produce the money, uh, we take care of our members, we provide your care, and we, uh, we manage a workforce of over 200,000. Of the eight presidents at Kaiser Permanente, five are women, five women presidents. 
And um, in most companies of our size, uh, with over 200,000 employees, Fortune, Fortune 100 companies, um, you will see the executive ranks have about, on average, 15% women. And at Kaiser Permanente, we have 47. 47% of our vice presidents, our executives, our presidents are all women. So there you have it. Kaiser Permanente represents being um, fighting for all the things that you're here today to talk about. Uh, we believe in women being indestructible, unbeatable, and too powerful to overcome. And so I have the pleasure now of introducing two women who embody that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them. You know who they are, so there's not a lot to say, but I do want to honor them. Uh, and they're going to come out together. And of course, the first is our San Francisco very own Mayor London Breed, who is the 45th mayor of the city of San Francisco. And, and the first African-American woman mayor in our city. So she has a lot of firsts behind her name. Uh, she, we know her as a native San Franciscan as well, raised by her grandmother in the Plaza East Public Housing uh, Western Edition. And she has fought for many of our city's uh, most challenging issues uh, that our community and our uh, citizens face. Safe, clean neighborhoods, affordable housing, particularly her leadership recently around um, homelessness. And she fights for equitable educational opportunities and uh, for services for vulnerable people in our communities. The second uh, woman that I'm introducing, of course, is our uh, speaker of the U.S. Representative's House is Nancy Pelosi, 31 years. 31 years, not just elected, one of the first women to be elected, but also um, Speaker of the House for over 16 years. She served three terms now, which is uh, a, a pretty big deal, uh, given all of the changes that happened over three decades. And I personally want to thank her. She's known for many, many things, many initiatives, um, investments in college aid, clean energy, um, helping veterans and small business. But I personally want to thank her for her leadership of the Affordable Care Act. You know, five million more people in the state of California have health insurance and access to care because of her. So she has made a, a difference in our country uh, that will last, that she leaves a legacy in our country under her leadership. So please join me in welcoming these two wonderful, wonderful women to the stage. today. Now we have our special guest here joining us, our leader, our speaker, the woman who basically is the only woman with courage in this country right now, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So Speaker, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate your time and 
We just want to have a conversation because we want to know who is Nancy Pelosi. And I think that you've been out there, we see you out there fighting the good fight, standing up to Donald Trump, doing what you do best to try and really move our country in the right direction. But we also know that you have a long history in the world of politics during a time where it was difficult for women to even get engaged. Your, your dad served as mayor of Baltimore, your brother served as mayor of Baltimore, you raising five kids ran for office and became a congresswoman for San Francisco. So tell us about Tell us about those early years and how challenging it was at that time for women because you were breaking barriers even back then. Thank you very much, Madam Mayor. First, I want to congratulate you on the great job that you were doing as mayor of San Francisco. I'm so very, very proud of you. And now it appears your reelection is uh, quite obvious. And, and as you gain uh, even more standing in our city, and I know our city is your focus, uh, your national example of whether it's public education or affordable housing or issues that relate to uh, gun safety, the list goes on, are uh, stories that you can tell from personal experience. And I, I want everyone in this room to know that personal stories are the power, are the power. I'll never. I remember when I first met the mayor, she was a staffer at City Hall. She was on a commission. My daughter, Christina, was here, reminds me. She was also an officer of the uh, uh, California Democratic Party Women's Caucus. Christine's here with a Ruth Bader Ginsburg scarf on today. <laughs> and then you, then you were involved in Emerge, and I know Susie Beale is very much a part of this. Thank you, Susie Beale, for Emerge. But you took all the steps, and now to be the mayor of this great city, to bring your experience and your values. So I hope in the course of our conversation as I share my story, you'll share the, another generation's story, your own, and I'm sure you're doing it in the course of this a very important meeting. It's wonderful, wonderful to be in San Francisco on any given day, but to be here with all of these women, these invincible women, yes. if we have our bracelet, <laughs> our invincible women is quite an honor. I have to just tell you though, uh, it is a curious time in our country. And uh, the time for women to be invincible has never been more important. Even though uh, we, this year we will, this, no, this Congress, we will celebrate the 100th anniversary of women having the right to vote. That's a good thing. As we do so, we have over 100 women in the House of Representatives. 91 of them are Democrats, 106, 91 are Democrats. But they represent the beauty, the diversity of America. And when women first got the right to vote, we still had much more work to do to make sure extended to women of color and people of color across our country. So again, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to share some, uh, some, some thoughts on that subject. When women got the right to vote, the headline said, women given the right to vote. No, <laughs> women fought, women were starved, women starved themselves, marched, advocated for decades before the right to vote uh, came. And now we have to do some of the same things to, uh, uh, I, I'll just go to this place. In the course of our revolution, when times were dark, 
Thomas Paine said, the times have found us. We believe the times have found us now again to save our democracy, to save our democracy. And the role of women in all of that is very, very important. So know your power. It's fabulous to see the strength of it all here, uh, but understand how necessary that is. So I thank you uh, for your leadership, your involvement, your courage to be invincible. Thank you. Now, a hundred years may seem like a long time, but it wasn't that long ago in our history when uh, we basically took the right to vote and we're celebrating that hundred year anniversary, but we're still you know, in the midst of a lot of inequities that women face in this country. And I know you have been a leader around uh, equal pay. So tell us a little bit about your work and what you're doing uh, to help address uh, the inequalities and the, and the pay gap for women and men. Well, I appreciate your asking that because one of our top uh, items on our agenda when we came in as the new majority in Congress was to pass the Fair Pay Act, equal pay for equal work. And it's still stunning to me to see people voting against that. And Mitch McConnell in the Senate is saying, I'm the Grim Reaper, it's not going to see a vote in the Senate. But I say to him, this may be, you may think it's dead, but it's alive and well in the public. So I appeal to you because no good thing happens with the outside mobilization. We can maneuver to pass the bill in the House to get it through the Senate and the President to, to uh, sign it is absolutely essential for us to have the outside mobilization. Know your power, weigh in. I mean, who would vote against such a thing? The Republican members of Congress. I know this isn't a partisan effort. <laughs> but it was amazing to see, and, and tied to that, which we're gonna bring up in a couple of weeks, is raising the minimum wage, the fight for 15, $15 an hour. So <clears throat> that affects women in the workplace as well. But when you think of the fact that women are not paid for the same amount of work as men, and what it means not only to the well-being of their families, but what it means to their pensions and their, and their retirement and the rest. It's so very, very unfair. We can correct it. We passed the bill. Rosa DeLauro was the author of it. And um, now we just have to get it past the Senate. We need the... Uh, Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost anything. Without it, practically nothing. So we need... In order for the public sentiment to weigh in, the public needs to know. So tell a friend, call in, especially into some of the, um, some of you are not from California, call home, tell those people to call the Republican senators uh, to, bring up, uh, to bring up the bill. It's a threshold uh, we must cross, we must cross. And that, along with a number of challenges that you have been dealing with for decades in the House of Representatives, you work with a number of uh, presidents. And yeah. of course, we had a, a great time working with President Obama, and we truly miss him now more than ever. Okay. Um, and I just, I just wanted to understand, because we, we watch you uh, on the news, and we, in my mind, I don't know about you, but I'm like, how is Nancy Pelosi sitting there with a straight face <laughs> when some of those things are being said? And I just wonder, well, what is going on in her head? And you, classy as always, try to stay focused on the issue, try to hold him accountable. Madam Speaker, what is going on in your head? 
with all of that. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing up President Obama and uh, Valerie Jarrett, whom you had this morning, was so spe spectacular. So spectacular. I love her, and she's really a powerful force in our country. I, uh, I have to just say this about the occupant of the White House. <laughs> it's really important to recognize that, again, with, I'm just stating a fact, this isn't political or partisan, that the Republicans in Congress, House and Senate, by and large, agree with him on almost every subject. I'm not associating them with his behavior, but I am associating them with his policy. So think of any subject. Before he even became president, they were where they were on being uh, uh, anti-woman's right to choose, LGBTQ rights, climate change, gun safety, fair immigration, uh, fairness in our economy, diminishing the disparity in income between our uh, uh, the, the haves and have-nots in our country. They'd been on the wrong side of all of those issues for a long time. So his coming in just, he's their guy from a policy standpoint. So when we had our election in 18, I said to the candidates something similar to what I'll say to you now, don't even mention his name. Just talk about you. And I say this to the women here as you aspire to perhaps running for office or supporting those who do as we sit here with this magnificent success story of women in politics, our mayor, London Breed. But here's the thing. What is, your, what is your why? So I keep saying to the members, we have to distinguish our why. Why are we here? What is our vision for the country? What do we know about the subjects that we can make a difference in the, in the legislation? How do we intend to do this? Are we strategic in our thinking? And show your sincerity, your connection to your constituents in terms of their fears and hopes and apprehensions and aspirations. Don't talk about him. But, but the fact is, is that when you present where you are on the issues, you will make a very strong distinction between the Republicans in Congress and the Democrats in Congress. And the Republicans in Congress are very much aligned with the President of the United States on these issues. That's really sad news that I have to convey to you. And so when people say, how come they're not speaking out? Well, he's their guy. He's their guy. But they also have taken an oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, and we're hoping that that will weigh in on their decisions as we go forward. So I, when you say when you're sitting there, he's the President of the United States. I respect the office that he holds. I think I respect it more than he respects it, but anyway, I respect the office that he holds. And um, we have to try to find common ground. Our founders, I went back and said, we are, uh, we, you know, the times have found us. They also gave us guidance in this respect. E pluribus unum, from any one. They couldn't imagine how many we would be, how different we would be, but they did know that we had to always strive to be one. So for the good of the people, we have to always try to find common ground. Stand our ground, uh, uh, stand ground when we can. That would be Thomas Jefferson. 
stand our ground like a rock where we can't, but, but try. And so you try to say, well, on uh, infrastructure, building a green infra infrastructure for the future, a green infrastructure for the future, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, he says he wants to do those things. Let's try to find common ground on that. But at the same time, we must mobilize outside. We would never have passed the Affordable Care Act or saved the Affordable Care Act without the outside mobilization. I, I thank Janet for her kind words, but it was the outside that made that happen. So again, know your power, be invincible, weigh in on these things because the public, it, it, is the, it is the people's country, we the people and for the people, and most importantly, for the children. So that's what I think when I'm sitting there, among other things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of knowing your power, um, happens to be the name of the book that you wrote, uh, Know Your Power. And part of knowing your power, of course, is, is knowing who you are and what you stand for. And um, I know that this had to come from somewhere. Um, and, and so tell us, because, because as I said earlier, um, you know, you have been doing this incredible work since at a time when there weren't a lot of women who were actively engaged in the political world. And not until recently are we seeing incredible organizations um, that are coming out like Emerge and Emily's List and other organizations that are helping to support and encouraging and pushing women to run for office. But uh, you didn't have organizations like that. You stepped out on faith and um, really got actively engaged. And you also did it while raising five kids. <laughs> I mean, I'm still trying to understand how that's even possible. So tell us a little bit about how you discovered, you know, your voice and your power and, and what motivated you in the early years to, to really step out and, and to do this type of work. Well, I appreciate uh, what you're saying, but the, uh, the fact is, is that I was raised in a political family, as was mentioned. I, I was raised in a political family, and we were taught that pu uh, public service is a noble calling, and that we all had a responsibility to, for, for the community. We all had a responsibility. It wasn't about politics so much as it was about civic engagement and politics as, as part of that. And so um, I never had any intention whatsoever of, um, of being running for public office, none whatsoever. But I did feel responsible to make some contributions, so I volunteered and the rest one thing led to another. But I'll just tell you this story about how I went from kitchen to Congress, one of the paths through it. So I'm at home, I have my five kids, run around, little kids, all this, and I get a call from the then mayor, Joseph Alioto. And he says, Nancy, what are you doing, making a big pot of pasta? I said, no, Mr. Pre Mr. Mayor, I'm reading the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> it, used to, it used to come in the afternoon in those days before all this technology. And my kids are playing there, and I'm, this is after school. And he said, well, I'm calling to ask you to serve on the library commission, okay? So I say to him, and he said, because I know you love the library, the kids and you all hang out there, Christine, and our, uh, we, we go there all the time, help with the books, this or that. This is, this is almost 40 years ago. So, so and I, I said, no, Mr. Mayor, don't give me that appointment. I love the library, I'll do that. I don't need 
to be recognized as a library commissioner. And this man, not known as a feminist, but nonetheless said to me, Nancy, you're doing the work. Get the official recognition for it. And that was one of the best messages that I had. He said, get the, and of course, no man would have ever said that, right? Don't, don't appoint me. I'll just carry the books around. <laughs> So I say that to the mayor because her path was through commissions as well, and so many of you here. But that official recognition, lo and behold, I had a vote on the commission. People cared what I thought. We were putting meetings out in the neighborhood. You know, we were doing things differently, and it was empowering. It was empowering, but it was my first official uh, involvement was to be a library commissioner in San Francisco. But that, that message, he was so clear. As a woman, you especially should receive the official recognition for the work that you're doing. So then one thing and another, I become chair of the California Democratic Party, this or that. Sala Burton, the congresswoman from this area, takes ill. She encourages, insists that I run for Congress. There it is. And uh, there's some steps in between. But uh, <laughs> then I go to Congress. And I, I really didn't want to go. I mean, I, I, I've never thought about running for office. I, I was basically a very shy person. Still am in certain respects. People don't believe that, but, but anyway. So, um, so I go to my daughter, Alexandra, who was the, the youngest. She, she was 16, about to go into senior year. It's around um, January, February. And, I, and I, so she would be going in September. And I said, Alexandra, mom, that four of them were already in college because these four were born, five were born almost to the day six years. So that's why I like to talk to my colleagues about a woman's right to choose, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when you have five babies in six years, you come talk to me about it, okay? <laughs> Can you believe these men standing in line yeah. to prohibit a woman's right to choose? Come on. Come on, don't get me started. So, <laughs> Go ahead, get started. So, so I go to Alexandra. I say, Alexandra, Mommy has been invited to run for Congress. It would be better for one more year when you were in college, but I love my life, and you know, so if you want me to stay here with you, I'll be gone like three nights a week. I mean, I have to even win yet. I don't even know if I'm going to win, but I have to decide whether to run. Any answer is okay. If you want me to stay with you, that's fine, or otherwise. She said, Mother, get a life. <laughs> and so I had never heard, and we're talking about over 30 years ago, I had never heard the expression before, get a life. <laughs> what teenage girl wouldn't want her mother gone three nights a week? <laughs> so there I went. All, I got a, another life. Uh, and then when I got there, I never intended to run for leadership, but then people came to me and said, blah, 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 you run for leadership. And when my name was put out there that I'd run for leadership, the men said, who said she could run? Poor babies. <laughs> Poor babies. So um, that, I believe that it, this, this was like around 2000. So they, they said, why don't you just make a list of all the things that the women want and we'll do them for them. Oh, double poor babies. <laughs> so anyway, one thing and another. But it is a, a very powerful position. President, Vice President, Speaker of the House, the third highest position 
in the country. And uh, I stand on the shoulders of so many women. Well, the organizations have emerged since then, emerged. Uh, it, it, I stand on the shoulders of all those suffragettes and all the others uh, who work so hard to open the doors for women. And I understand my responsibility to be shoulders for other women. And uh, we have just this magnificent, our house Democrat. And so I went there, Barbara Boxer and I were the two members from San Francisco. There were 23 women members of Congress, 12 Democrats, 11 Republicans. Now there are 91 Democrats and 15 Republicans. Because we made a decision, we made a decision that we would work to uh, to uh, elect many more women and then organizations like Emerge, em Emily's List, Just Remarkable, and other organizations that dedicated to women's right to choose, encouraging women, uh, pro-choice women to run. So now we have this. And I say to the members, our diversity is our strength. This caucus is over 60% women, people of color, LGBTQ. It's so beautifully diverse, over 60%. And I say our diversity is our strength. Our unity is our power. And that's that power that I bring to the table with the President of the United States. Yes. So one of the biggest challenges that we're facing as women, of course, is the threat to our reproductive health and what's happening all over the country. Uh, it feels like we're going backwards, um, especially with the laws that are getting passed in uh, places like Georgia and, and a number of other uh, states in Utah. It is, it is absolutely devastating, and we know ultimately uh, the changes to these policies will mostly impact poor women and women of color, um, and it has just really had a devastating um, impact on the morale of, you know, just I think, women in general because here we are trying to push for pay equity, trying to make sure that you know we have an e a, a seat at the table and a number of other issues, and now we gotta go back and fight a battle that we fought and won in the 1970s. It, it, it's like we're going back to the dark ages here, and, and I just wanted to know your thoughts about what's going on with this and your you know, just, you know, suggestion on, uh, on where do we go from here and how do we continue to push uh, this thing back? Well, I've, you've said it exactly right, you push, you put it in the frame of pay equity and the, this is about respect for women. This, this whole subject, whether we're talking about respect in the workplace, equal pay for equal work, respect for one's right to choose. I don't want to be, uh, I never like to be, uh, be fearful, I always like to be hopeful. My hope springs from the fact that so many people understand this threat and are willing to stand up and, and advocate against this threat to a woman's right to choose. This is a moment because not only are they passing these bills which are so harmful, but they are all going into other related fears, uh, fields like uh, uh, embryonic stem cell research, uh, all, all things that relate to what they think is that, that uh, at the moment of, of uh, conception or whatever, 
uh, life begins. And without going into that, let, let me just say this to you, because this, for 25 years, my first 25 years in the Congress, I tried to convey this, but it was so unbelievable that people were like, oh, I don't really believe it. If I believe that, I'd never vote Republican, all right. They don't believe in birth control. They don't believe in family planning. They don't believe in any of that. So understand that's very strange to be telling you that. If you think that their whole goal was to reduce the number of abortions in our country, you think they would love family planning. But what is their bete noir, their, their main target in all of this is Planned Parenthood because they're so effective in giving people choices and to make their own choices and, and have a reproductive health initiatives uh, for women all over the country. So until they were defunding Planned Parenthood, which is technically not exactly what they did, but the effect was to defund Planned Parenthood, then people got all aroused about it and they lost that fight. And now we, now we have to again um, make sure they lose that fight. So women have to speak up in their communities respectfully of their faith, faith. You know, look, I'm Italian-American, Baltimore, Maryland, raised in Little Italy in Baltimore, Maryland. Most of my family is not pro-choice. I, I don't even ask them, and they don't tell, but I have a feeling that that's what where they are. I don't think they're crazy about my exuberance on this subject, but I'm very exuberant on the subject because this is fundamental. Believe what you want to believe, live your life, but don't decide that politicians are going to exact that on somebody else. And when, and when we talk about the Hyde Amendment, when we talk about saying that no funds can be used, that's the wrong, that's the wrong thing to do because it's a penalty to the, uh, 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 diminishes the rights of poor or women. But that's a harder fight. We have to win the election and win the White House to, ma to make that fight, but understand that it ha the Hyde Amendment has to go. It has to go. So, so uh, again, know your power, advocate for this. Outside mobilization will make all the difference in the world in every state. And if people just decide that they think that a woman doesn't have the good judgment to determine the size and timing of her family or if she even wants to have one, uh, then they have to pay a price at the polls for thinking that way, for thinking that way. But this is, this is fundamental, it's fundamental. And again, the women of color pay a price, as you mentioned, and, and that is the same with Hyde Amendment, same thing with uh, equal pay for equal work, same thing for the minimum, uh, the minimum wage. I just want to tell one a story about Sojourner Truth because we did talk about the suffragettes and she was just a remarkable, remarkable suffragette. And since you had Valerie here, I feel compelled to tell you this story. So when, when, when uh, we took the majority, we decided that we needed to have more diversity in the statues in, in the capital of the United States, practically all white men. One woman, one or two, Jeanette Rankin, who was the first woman elected to Congress. So, so we had um, uh, Rosa Parks. We had a statue of the Rosa Parks. the most visited statues in the Capitol now, Rosa Parks, sitting, sitting as, as, as uh, she. That, that's the way the community wanted her, her statue. It's fabulous. But then when we did Rosa Parks, by then. When we did Rosa Parks, President Bush was president. When we did Sojourner Truth, 
Bill, uh, 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 Barack Obama was president. And we had this enormous event in Emancipation Hall in the Capitol, our new facility there. And we were going to display this bust of Sojourner Truth. And our special guest was Michelle Obama. So Michelle Obama gets up and says, and I just, this makes me cry. She gets up and says, talking about Sojourner Truth and how remarkable she was as a slave, a mom, a suffragist, a advocate to presidents of the United States. She says, I, can't, I, I just can just see how happy Sojourner Truth would be to see a woman standing there as speaker of the house. Yeah. But I can't even imagine what she'd be thinking of me, Michelle Obama, as the First Lady of America. We've come a long way. We have much more. We have much more to do. We have much more to do. Yes, and we have come a long way. And, and I just want to uh, just touch upon a little bit about just so many of the amazing accomplishments that you have had throughout your career. Um, we know that you spent a lot of your time working to get Democrats elected to Congress, and we truly appreciate that. And it's one of the main reasons why we now finally have, you know, the majority in the House of Representatives because of a lot of your hard work, um, in addition to a lot of the national policies around health care, pay equity. Um, but you also make sure that you take care of home, and we really appreciate um, the support that you provided uh, for the Hunters Point Shipyard and the cleanup and the accountability in terms of the challenges that we've experienced there. Thank you for your leadership with that, neighborhood preference and how you helped us and you fought side by side to make sure that people have access to the affordable housing in their neighborhoods. A lot of the great work that we've been able to do and the su financial support that we get from the feds, from the Caltrain electrification. I mean, I can go down the list of all the support that you have always provided to San Francisco as you deal with the bigger challenges of the rest of the country. It means so much to have you in this incredible leadership position. And I, I just want to know what you think because, you know, again, there's so many things. But what really stands out to you as something, um, a moment in time or a situation or a policy or something that you were just so proud of um, and, and maybe share, share that with us today? Well, uh, I'm so, uh, as I say to my colleagues in the Congress, all the honors you bestow upon me as I was whip, I was leader, speaker of the House now twice, all of that is wonderful. But nothing is more important to me than stepping onto the floor of the House as a representative of the people of San Francisco. That is the most relevant. And we have a... Uh, a beautiful agenda here that in most cases would be a model to the country, so it makes me easy, easier for me to get resources for what we need to have done here. And it also helps to be Speaker of the House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say that um, the uh, most, um, uh, let me just say about San Francisco first. You know, they always, San Francisco values. They spent a hundred, they had 137,000 ads the Republicans, against me in the election of 2018 as a San Francisco values person. 137,000 ads, San Francisco liberal. Yes, proud to be. However, it didn't work. We won 40 seats in the most gerrymandered, voter-suppressed arena you can name. And I said, you know what our San Francisco values are? 
We are the song of St. Francis, our patron saint. Make me an instrument of their peace, of thy peace. Where there's hatred, we bring love, despair, hope, darkness, light. You all will be sharing in our San Francisco values. But the most um, a, a proud moment for me, probably in, in addition to representing San Francisco every minute, every day, is uh, the, the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And when there was a time when people thought it was never going to pass, the press said to me, what are you going to do? Why don't you give up and make it smaller or something? And I said, no, this is our moment. It's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act. This is our moment of our generation, and we intend to pass the bill. And they said, well, it looks impossible. There's so many barriers to it. And I said, well, if we see a barrier, a fence too high for us, we'll go push open the gate. And if the gate doesn't open, we'll climb the fence. And the fence, if that doesn't work, we'll pole vault in. And if that doesn't work, we'll parachute in. But we're not letting every barrier stand in the way of passing the Affordable Care Act. So after it happened, and I know where time is up, after it happened, the press said, well, which one did you do? And I said, well, actually, we pushed open the gate because we not only had the votes of the House Democrats, to do that, but we had the outside mobilization, and I come back to you. The outside, the people who cared, uh, whether it was for all of the things, pre-existing conditions as a benefit, removing lifetime limits, being a woman, no longer a pre-existing medical condition, protecting a woman's right to choose, all of those things, uh, your child staying on your policy, the list goes on. But everybody was there pushing open that gate with us. It would not have happened without the outside mobilization. So I tell you that example because it stands, it, it, it is true for everything uh, that we do. And I always say, in particular, thank God for the nuns as opposed to the bishops, to the nuns who were so helpful to us, another element of women power. So I say to all of you women, know your power. The best advice I ever got running for office is be yourself. Don't let anyone diminish who you are and what you bring to the table. And they'll try to do that, but you don't let them do it. You know why? Because you're invincible. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Speaker Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Thank you. most powerful woman in San Francisco and the most powerful woman in the country. Yeah, right here. You know, in my 22 years uh, running the National Center for Lesbian Rights, when I first started at NCLR, the idea of same-sex couples having the right to marry was ridiculous even to me. And yet, early on, we had champions like Nancy Pelosi, who again and again understood the importance of our relationships being treated with dignity. And not to, it wasn't just about marriage. It was about employment. It was about our place in civic life. And over and over again, when I would contact Speaker Pelosi's office 
or as a congresswoman, her office, or we would be in meetings with her. She would do that thing that you always need allies to do. She would deploy her own privilege and power in service of what we needed. She would risk her political capital to say, this issue matters to me. LGBTQ people matter and need to be treated equally under the law. And she did that again and again and again. And she's done it on so many, the range of so many issues. And that's how you, that's the difference between uh, a situational ally or a maybe not, can't be counted on all the time ally who just shows up when it's convenient and somebody who's really willing to throw down. So we are so lucky to have Nancy Pelosi as our own. I'm now excited to introduce uh, our next uh, individual who will uh, introduce our next speaker. And the, the woman I'm about to introduce is one of my very favorite longtime friends and colleagues. You don't stay in a position for two decades if you don't have a posse around you of people who protect you and support you and are your kitchen cabinet and that you can rely on. And Serena Khan has always been that for me. When I first met Serena, you can clap, sure. Love her. When I first met Serena, she was the new executive director at what was then the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, but she is now, uh, which now is called Outright International. After she did that for a few years, she moved to philanthropy, truly making her mark at the Ford Foundation, among other institutions. And for the last many years, she's been the CEO of the Women's Foundation of California. And in every role, she has brought along others. In every role, she has elevated the leadership of young leaders. In every role, she has been that consummate colleague, friend, partner, honored confidant who you know you can trust. She is just like a really good human. So please welcome my good friend, Serena Khan. Thank you, Kate Kendall. Kate Kendall is one of my sheroes, so uh, having an introduction like that from her makes me feel like I could work at this uh, gender justice, racial justice, economic justice for 20 more years at least. So hello, San Francisco. How are you feeling after this incredible day? Let me hear you. You have to be feeling invincible after that conversation between our mayor and our speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Now that is some leadership. We are so fortunate to have women like that who are uh, advocating on our behalf. So again, I'm Serena Khan. I'm the CEO of the Women's Foundation of California. And I am so thrilled to be here in partnership with Mayor Breed and the summit organizers uh, today because the Women's Foundation of California was founded right here in San Francisco 40 years ago in 1979. Our, first, our founders broke new ground in 1979 by creating one of the first foundations in the country led by and for women and girls. They imagined a new feminist philanthropy that would put movement leaders, 
with our multiple identities and experiences in charge of funding decisions and, re and redistribute resources to transform our own communities. Which means just as I stand here before you as a proud lesbian, as an immigrant, as a woman of color from a Pakistani Muslim family, we recognize and celebrate all cisgender and transgender women and girls in all of our beautiful glory. Because our core belief is that those closest to the problems in our communities are closest to the solutions in our communities. We are living in times of crisis, and we need community-led solutions. Our golden state is a tale of two states, just like San Francisco is a tale of two cities. We have incredible wealth in California and here in San Francisco, and yet California um, has the highest poverty rates in the nation, despite being the fifth largest economy in the world. A single mom in San Francisco, and in fact in every one of California's 58 counties, spends more on childcare and housing, just those two line items in her budget, than she brings home every month. Which means she's, not only is she going into debt every month, but she doesn't have enough money to pay for other basic necessities like food, clothing, transportation. And that's why over the last four decades, the Women's Foundation of California has stayed rooted in supporting community-led solutions. We are committed to community-led solutions. Through our Women's Policy Institute, we've trained more than 500 community leaders from across the state who use their lived experiences, their powerfully unapologetic voices, and partnerships with legislators to pass 35 of their policy projects into law. I know you've heard about the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights here in California. Let me know if you've heard about that bill. Because that happened through our fellows in the Women's Policy Institute. Domestic workers, people who need care themselves, came up with the policy idea and worked with legislators to pass that bill. So the movement leaders we've supported and trained are fundamentally transforming the halls of power across our state and they are each connected to thousands of people, which means that we have the power to activate millions of people across California for progressive policy change. And that's a good thing, because California is providing hope to the rest of the country in these dark times. We're so, we're so fortunate to have strong leadership in our city and our state leaders who are responsive to community-led solutions. We applaud Mayor Breed, who just this week announced, along with Sheriff, Sheriff Vicki Hennessy, that San Francisco will stop charging people in our city jails for phone calls. <laughs> and stop marking up items in the jail store. That, that will put $1.7 million back in the pockets of families of incarcerated uh, people, and it will make it easier for them to stay in touch with their incarcerated loved ones. And again, this change happened because of the advocacy of the incredible, the invincible young women of the Young Women's Freedom Center, along with so many others. 
And the Young Women's Freedom Center, you heard Latifa Simon earlier today, is an organization that started right here in San Francisco, and they got their very first grant in 1994 from the Women's Foundation of California, and I couldn't be prouder about that. So community-based leadership led by women and girls is our hope for a better future. And so today, I want you to be the first to know about another groundbreaking initiative. Our Bay Area Young Women's Initiative is a partnership between the U Women's Foundation of California and Alliance for Girls, and together, we supported girl-led research, community-driven research, where the young women themselves learned how to do research, conducted listening sessions, and compiled a report with their recommendations about the problems they're facing in their communities and the solutions that they see. It centers the voices of, and experiences of young women and girls of color to identify barriers and solutions so that they can reach their full potential. And I want you to sign up for our updates so you will hear about our next big announcement that is coming soon that I can't tell you about now. But please, please stay tuned um, because we're going to take this work uh, across the state. So now I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. And let me tell you why. Because I love pop culture. It's how I relax. I go home. I watch Netflix. Uh, and um, how many people do you know, our next guest, how many people do you know who can say they were so good at their job that it inspired a hit TV show produced by Shonda Rhimes, starring Carrie Washington? Well, our next guest can. She's a crisis manager, a lawyer, an author, and television producer. She's worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office and the White House. And her career is the inspiration for the character Olivia Pope on ABC Scandal. So it's my honor to invite Judy Smith, founder and president of Smith & Company, to join me on stage for a conversation. Uh, so please welcome uh, Judy Smith to the stage. treat. This is great. Look at, I need to put my glasses on so I can see all these wonderful women. Woo! This is so amazing. amazing. Oh my God. We're so happy to have you here. So you. for so many reasons, not just scandal because your career has been incredible. Thank you. Uh, so Thank I you talked so a little bit about um, you just now, but you're the founder and president of your own strategic advisory firm. Yes. Uh, and, and you have offices in D.C., L.A., New York, uh, communications, crisis management, media savvy, legal and political strategies, uh, and you're working with clients on a wide array of issues. You're a former f uh, federal prosecutor. You served in the White House as deputy press secretary to the senior George Bush, President Herbert Walker Bush. So tell us about your career path. How did you get where you are today? Is this what you thought you would be when you were, I don't know, 10 years old, saying, <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be? Um, well, of course. I mean, I've all planned this out since I was four. No, I mean, uh, no idea whatsoever. Um, I would probably say two things about it. 
the thing that when I look back on it and think about it, it is all for me about uh, taking risk. And people always say this, but it's true. It's also about stepping out of your comfort zone, right? When the kinds of things I've done, whether it's the White House or the U.S. Attorney's Office, those were um, all things that came based on the work, right? There would be no reason why uh, a poor girl from Northeast Washington, D.C., who had no political contacts, parents had no money, that I would end up working in the White House or in the U.S. Attorney's Office. And um, it was just really sort of based on, um, you know, based on the work, which I think is important. The other thing that I would say as well is that <coughs> people always say to find your passion. And I sort of hate that sometimes because like how do you really do that, right? How do you actually do that? And I was talking to a, a friend of mine. Um, I've known her since I was four. Uh, her name is Michelle, but I call her Beanhead because I can do that. And she calls me Pocahontas, right? And so we've been friends for decades. And your question was sort of how did I come into this? She reminded me, she called me up one day, and uh, she wanted to go out for some drinks. And I said, I can't because I'm writing this book. And, you know, they want to know how I got started in crisis and why I do this. And I said, I got to think about it. I don't know. And so she said, well, look, is that all the standing in the way of us and a glass of red wine? And, right? And so I said, well, yeah. And she said, you had no choice. You've been doing this since you were five years old. And she reminded me about there was a playground up the street that was about to close. And we went to that playground, like, for after-school, you know, activities. And they said it was going to close because they didn't have any money. So we went up to the playground and said, well, how do we find the money people? Where are the money people? And so, really true. <laughs> and so I organized the neighborhood, right? We were about, like, 12 then. And we saved our lunch money. And we took our lunch money. And we made, like, little protest signs. And we snuck on the bus. And we got on the bus, and um, we said, where are the money people? We didn't know, and there was a security guard, and he said, you mean city council? I said, well, do they give people money? Yes. And so it was literally 12 little squarny little girls, right, in the little, we need money for our playground, <laughs> we need money, right, walking in circles. And then somebody came down, and um, there was also like a camera crew, and uh, Beanhead pushed me right up there, and I said, we need money for our pro, uh, playground. If not, we're going to become bad people, and we might get into trouble. <laughs> 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 and let me just say, we got money for that playground. <laughs> so you're... A so, problem solver, you're creative, um, and you know what to ask for when you want it. Yes, and so Beanhead pointed out that it's what you've been doing since you were little. Like, you had no choice. It's part of who you are. So, yeah. So, what other advice can you give us for yeah. those of us who have problems, whether we have problems at home, in our communities? You're um, strategizing, crisis managing all the time. It probably comes so naturally to you. So give us three pearls of wisdom for those of us who find it difficult, maybe. 
Yeah, and these, I would say these are tips for both personal problems and work problems. I think the first thing is that you want to look problems like dead in the eye. And by that, I mean most of the time that we think things that are problems or issues or things that are unpleasant, we think that they're going to go away. They're not, right? They're still going to be there. So I think that's one. Um, I think the other thing that is important is when you're dealing with a problem, you want to stand in your truth, right? So sometimes when we have problems or issues, we try to view them in a, a way that's not act actually um, uh, accurate, right? Sometimes from a, a point of view. So I think that's important. And I would say that you want to look at the problem and look at really what are the root causes of the problem, right? So they won't come back. You won't face this issue again. Mm -hmm. Because usually behind any issue or problem, there's always something that's standing behind it. You just got to pull the curtain back a little bit. Has there ever been anything you couldn't fix? Oh, there are tons of things I can't fix. Um, my kids are still on the payroll. I'm trying to work <laughs> on that. <laughs> right? I, you know, I'm trying hard. Um, no, I mean, there are a lot of problems that you can't fix. There's some things that are not um, fixable. You know, sometimes um, uh, people come and want to rehabilitate their brand and their reputation. And, you know, sometimes it's it's too far down the line where you can't, reshape the narrative it's it's rare but it happens though mm -hmm. it happens yeah i feel like we should be drinking red wine and eating we should. popcorn so um tell us you guys are so unprepared there's yeah. no wine <laughs> there's no popcorn um so tell us about your favorite type of wine and give us a few metaphors and descriptors about it well, let's see. I don't know if I have a favorite brand, but um, uh, just two days ago, I had a very nice light uh, rosé. It's a little sweet. That's nice. Um, popcorn, that's always nice. Um, actually, I'll tell you a quick funny story about that. Usually when the show came on, I was, you know, I'm always on the road a lot, so I travel. And I was so excited um, that, oh, my God, I get to see the show at the exact time, right? And so I got home, and I put my jammies on, you know, not what Olivia would wear, like, you know, a ripped-off <laughs> top and a bottom that didn't match. And I sat down, right, and I said, oh, heck, I forgot, like, the popcorn and the wine, right? Because that's actually true. I like that, hence white as well. And so I'm sitting down on the sofa with my popcorn and wine, and I'm, I'm, you know, cutting on the TV ready to watch it. And when I cut it on, Olivia is sitting on her sofa with <laughs> popcorn <laughs> and wine. It was just one of those, like, crazy moments. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are the odds of this? I mean, she was looking fabulous. I was looking like heck, but... Uh, but yes. Uh, so, so art yeah, does imitate reality. It does. It does. Sometimes it does. I except for the sex with the president. Let's be very <laughs> clear about that. <laughs> Let's, uh, I don't want anybody to be confused about that one. <laughs> 
So tell us, how did the show happen? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, we just don't hear that many stories like yours where you inspired uh, a TV show because of your success. Well, I mean, I wasn't really um, trying to, to, to pitch a show. I, I'll tell you the things for me that were really important about the, the show that were, um, was one, uh, as I said, I have kids, right? And so it was important to me that the woman who was going to be inspired by my work looked like me. That was that that was non-negotiable from my point of view. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one, and that that was a, a a hurdle in the sense that that was the first with the show it was the first time that an African American woman was a lead on television. I think in like what 35 years. I mean that's right. That's crazy. But really, you guys are clapping for me. You should be clapping for yourselves. And I, I tell you that, and it goes back to what we are all talking about here at the conference, is that people underestimate the power that each and every one of you have in yourself, right? It is because that people watch the show that it sent a message to the people that produce television and films that, okay, a show that is uh, that stars an African-American woman can be successful and can make money, right? And so without all of you watching it and supporting it, there would have never been that change and it would have never been that door open. So uh, thank you, all of you, honestly. Without you, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. Well, and, and what, um, you know, and a vision and image to provide for the next generation, so. Yeah, and it was important that that person um, be a strong woman, but also somebody who is good at what she does and unapologetic about it. Yeah. Oftentimes when we feel that we are good at what we do, we feel like we have to hide it or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or don't show it. Why not? Well, many years ago, um, I w about, I guess, five or six years ago, I was living in New York, working yeah. at the Ford Foundation, working for a strong, successful African-American woman. Mm -hmm. And it was right around the time, I guess, that Scandal, I think, just started. Yeah. And so we were going to an event, and I said to my boss, I said, you remind me of Olivia Pope. And she <laughs> said, oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, so what's next for you? What's next? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big, when I say this, just sort of planner, basically. Um, we are uh, expanding internationally. So uh, excited about that. And, um, you know, want to find a way to um, provide advice and to help more people. So that's what... That's what I'm trying to figure out. Any right. suggestions? Let me know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a secret ambition of another career? <sighs> it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. I often say that I wish I could sing, but if any of you lived with me and at home, you know that that would not be possible. Um, the only reason why is that there's something very special about music. Right, and it, it, it can be very universal 
and um, bring people together in an amazing way. Mm -hmm. But but I know that that's not a real possibility. (laughs) So in the world that we all live in, there's often competing voices. There's a lot of noise. It might be hard to get heard in a room. Um, We still have gender inequity. So what advice can you give us about how to push forward and be heard um, and get our views uh, listened to? Sure. Um, You know, one of the things that I have tried over the years has been successful in terms of um, giving advice and counsel or when you're in a room and you want, you know, to speak about what your point of view or opinion. Um, I never start with, I feel that you should do this and here's the reason why. I always start off with facts. It's not because I feel it, it's because I know it, right? And hear the reasons why, yeah. And, um, and so I always start with the factual point of view and a factual base. And the other thing I think that is important when you are rendering advice, in particular if it's gonna have you know, effect on the person that you are speaking to or the brand or the company is to, you know, to point that out mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a factual context. And oftentimes when I'm talking to, you know, CEOs and giving it advice, and there's nothing wrong with it, people care about what the bottom line is and how is it going to affect the bottom line. Yeah, That kind of magically usually pushes the, push it, pushes it up a little bit. Yeah, I think it's helpful. absolutely. Yeah. Well, Judy, thank you so much. It's been such thank a pleasure you. to be in conversation. Thank you for with having you. me. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a good conference. I think somebody should, uh, I think there should be some sort of uh, playlist for the summit, don't you think? Ah, There's some pretty good stuff up here. Well, it's about to get better. It's about to get better. This is an artist, uh, and and before we, you're going to be down to the wine reception. There is going to be red wine, Judy. There's no need, there's no need for that defamatory talk about that we didn't do right here. There's going to be wine and food downstairs on the second floor, but first... This is a real treat, and I've been looking forward to, um, to this moment uh, all day long. So Lettucey is an artist uh, who is c- totally killing it, right? <laughs> totally killing it. And what you need to know is you're seeing her before she, like, really, really blows up. But she is going to be, you know, in the pantheon of, you know, Prince and Patti LaBelle and Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight. She is rocking and she I've been listening to her all week I've been listening to her for months and months but I've especially been throwing down this week knowing that I was going to be introducing her and I've learned that you can clean the house to her you can read to her you can have sex to her you can drink to her I mean it is like she is she is the full service full service performer so you're gonna, she, I want you to give it up for her. You're gonna have a wonderful time and she's gonna be in rotation on your favorite playlist. Please welcome Lettucey.
swag to it too come, come together. together it's all right don't worry don't don't be scared come on come together yeah as women we got to rise and stand. come together come together yeah 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 come together you know we running things passive aggressive aggressive any kind of way come together to hear. Come on, say it. All right now. Yeah, yeah. Y'all can go on a roll with me and we can make a movement. too early. Here's a song for you. 
My dad used to sing this one, so we're gonna sing it. I was born by the river in a little tent, oh, and just like the river I've been running ever since. It's been a long, long time coming. And I know a change gonna come. It's been too hard living, and I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. Oh, it's been a long, long, long time, time coming. coming, and I know a change. When I started to really get out there, I started, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, but I was raised in Oakland, California, East Bay. 96 in Holly, to be exact. And everywhere I went, I was met with resistance to appreciate me and my, my presence. <laughs> 
said I wasn't pretty enough or good enough to make it in this industry. And here I am, 10 albums later, 12 Grammy nominations. I'm an Arthur, an actress, all these wonderful things, but it took a woman, one woman. When I was ready to give up, I wrote this next song. It was my first Grammy-nominated song. It took a woman, my mother, said, Mama, I can't make it. I think I'm going to quit this business and become a teacher and help someone else find their greatness. She said, let us see, you're going through some things, but you're going to be all right. And this song, this one little song I wrote, sleeping on the floor with bills and luggage and baggage emotionally and spiritually, is still a song that resonates, not only with me, but with the world. And everywhere I go, I sing it. And it was three things I learned by sleeping on the floor that I usually talk about at the end, but I'm gonna say it now. Sleeping on the floor, the one thing I learned, I said, Lord, if you get me through this, what do you want me to express? And it was the first thing he said, you must leap out on faith and trust and know that I will provide for you if you have faith. The second thing was you must love yourself by any means necessary. And the best thing about being a woman is we have a walk. Even when we feel a certain kind of way, we got a walk. That's the glory about getting a little walk. You can put a little heel on to get you up a little bit. You might even be feeling like this, but that heel will get you right on up a little bit. And you can hold on to that walk no matter how you feel. You can take a breath and walk right into a door. You don't know what's gonna happen, but you know you belong. So that's the lift that one woman told me. You must love yourself by any means necessary. And the last thing was to be careful of who and what you allow in your personal circle. Some people, you love them from afar, far, far away. Might even be your family, y'all, far, far away. Because you have to hold on to your strength, that superpower that we have. You know how magnificent we are? We do so many things at one time, it's unbelievable! But the one thing we must never forget is to take care of ourselves first. Don't put you last, put you first. So that you can go back in there and conquer the world. That's me moving my cape back so I can see everything. So here's a song called All Right. Here we go. Yeah? This life can make me so confused, but it's all right. Living day by day, I feel so used, and that ain't right. And I just want to run and hide, but I don't have the time to cry. And it's all right. It's all right, all right. Many thoughts are running through my head. It's all right, yeah. Wishing to be somewhere else but here, and it's all right. And I can't wait to see your face. I need a smile in your embrace, and I'm all right. I'm all right, yeah. Life can bring us through many changes. It's all right, never give up. Know that it's gonna be all right. People come and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just the way that it goes. 
Cause everything is everything, yeah. It's alright. Sometimes the rain, it makes me sad, but it's alright, yeah. And some things in the world, they make me mad, but it's alright. In the morning when I see the sun, I know I'm not the only one. And it's alright, it's alright, yeah. I wish I had some money to pay my bills. It's still like that they hire them. And I can't even buy my dress on sale, but it's all right. Oh, having money don't mean a thing, but loving you is everything. And I'm all right, yeah, yeah. Life can bring you through many changes. Yeah, it'll make you feel bad, but don't give up, no. Everything oh, 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 oh. It's gonna be all right. Oh, 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 oh. But it, you know, everything is everything, oh, 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 oh. and it's gonna be all right. All right. Oh, Life can bring you through many changes, right. it'll make you feel just bad, but don't no give up. No, no. That's all right. They can still see me right here. Get it, ooh, did it, yeah. Get it, yeah. It's gonna be all right, all right, all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. That's what we do in New Orleans. We just. Even at the funeral, we doing. That's what we do. We celebrate every second, every minute, every hour we celebrate something. There's something good in the day. And I might be your something good, hello. Or I might be adding on to your something good. Mm. Say it. All right, all right, all right, yeah. Come on. All right, all right, all right. When you're on the treadmill. All right, all right, all right. When the bill is due, what you say? All right, all right. When your family getting on your nerves, what do you say? All 
It's going to be what? Hey. I'm going to get through this. Yes. It's going to be. That's right. Let's start right here. I want you to go. This band I've never played with from the Bay Area. Aren't they awesome? I mean, I played with you before, a hundred thousand. We played one, but here's a song I wrote for ladies. It's called Pieces of Me. People just don't know what I'm about. They haven't seen what's there behind my smile. There's so much more of me, I'm showing now. There's other pieces. Says of me when it looks like I'm up, sometimes I'm down. I'm alone, even with people all around. But that don't change the happiness I found. These are the pieces. So when you look at my face, you gotta know that I'm made of everything. No love no more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many colors. A woman that you see. A good friend and lover. Yeah, I can run the business and make time for fantasies.
Thank you so much. God bless you all, ladies. I love you. It starts with us. We have to be together no matter what. Thank you so much. God bless you. Take care. She can hear you backstage. There you go. The mayor told me that she would pack into a crowded Cafe de Nord and listen to Lettucey years ago. So here she is back on stage on the mayor's stage. So the reception downstairs, wine and food. The booze are still open. And I got a promise from the mayor backstage that she wants to see you all back here next year when we do it again. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much.